Alrighty, welcome to. Let's do this properly. Right, uh, I'll have to edit, hey? edit probably a lot of that out uh, for no reason. More work for you. Yeah. Uh, welcome to to Lassaren. We just had a. Uh, you're nodding over there, Costa. Nodding. Firstly, Dave, how's it going? Very well, very well. Uh, and we'll introduce our guest who we've this just is mentioned. A Chris, this is Christmas Day. Oh yeah, Christmas Day. Merry Christmas, We're releasing everyone. this Christmas Day. This is oh, a really? gift to everybody. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Hope you're a family and not annoying you too much. Oh, they have. That's why you've put your headphones on. <laughs> and you're yeah, yeah. your favourite chair. <laughs> Maybe you're having a last Um yeah. We're having a last with mm. Costa uh, from La Sirene. How's it going, Costa? It's going great. It's uh, nice to be part of the podcast. Mm. I know that we've been... It's been a long time coming. Yeah, it has been, has been. So uh, it's good to finally take a breather and just sort of reflect with you guys and uh, hopefully crack a few good beers in the process. Definitely. So. We, um, we were just talking about your Urban Pale, which we gave Beer of the Year this year. Uh, we just had one and it went down, I think, for all of us pretty quickly. I imagine mm-hmm. you're speechless with it, coveted award. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'd like to thank my family. <laughs> yeah, It but is a big one. Yeah. yeah, but actually I would because um, it's quite funny, this beer... We can go into that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah let's yeah. just do um, that. So the Urban Pale, I mean, it's quite funny. It's um, It was about 11 months in development, believe it or not. And we're quite slow to develop things here um, mm. just because just the way it is, right? It's a natural evolution. and So we, we always wanted to make an everyday La Seren that, that someone could take a six-pack of, go to a barbecue, drink it and enjoy it and, and not lose some of the house character, which is La Seren. And so have a nice amount of complexity, make sure it's refreshing, and just have some character to it. And so we wanted to make sure that the parlour that we made had those three things. Character, uh, super refreshing, and um, and some level of complexity. And uh, so the Evan Pale is obviously a, you know the culmination of all of that over about 11 months or so. And uh, for us, it was about trying to balance yeast and hops. Mm. You know, and I guess hops are... Almost a bit of a foreign word to us in this brewery. Um, it's quite funny. When we make a beer, we're thinking about the yeast, the technique, the fermentation, the maturation, and the malt and the hops are a secondary and third choice. Mm. And so um, it's quite funny. For this beer, the hops were equal first with the yeast we we're going to use. Well, the yeast was going to be our house yeast, and that's what gives it the character. And we wanted to make sure that the hops. Uh, complement the yeast without overpowering it and uh, yeah it was a sort of finding that balance but uh, I think we've I think we've got there did you um, <coughs> is it sort of using that sort of north uh, sorry New England uh, we dry up this after fermentation okay after right. yeah. cool. so look to be honest it's pretty um, traditional in the way it's made but for us it's um, it's about trying to showcase our house yeast in a very approachable everyday sort of way and we wanted to contribute to the market, i.e. pale ales, but with our twist on it and with our sort of stamp on it. And so we thought, let's, let's do a farmhouse pale ale. And to do that, we have to use our house yeast, which is a classic sort of farmhouse yeast. So, um, yeah, it, it, just, it just took a bit of time to bring that all together. Um, it comes across really integrated, I think. Because um, <coughs> a lot of farmhouse pales, you can get the hops and you get the yeast and they're, they're quite distinct. Um, whereas this, I'm not sure which is which. Great, excellent, and that and that's the whole point, you know. Um, you know, integration for us is everything, um, and I think it, it comes back to I guess my background in wine. You know, wine's all about integration and making sure things are seamless on the palate, and I think we try and do a bit of that in the beer world. And so for us, yeah, the urban pale needed to be really refreshing, 
really integrated, you know. So, so you know, you could have that in a blind tasting with 50 other beers and know that this is a Lusserin beer. So, if yeah. it's been that a year or so in the making, when did the yep. canning come into it? Um, we always wanted to do a beer in a can. Um, why? I just love drinking beer out of cans. And um, I remember, you know, this is going back a while, and I want to mention some, you know, a brand here, but I remember drinking Melbourne Bitter out of can you know, years ago, 20 years ago, and I really enjoyed it. And so I've always loved drinking beer out of a can. Um, and so we always thought we wanted to do a beer in a can, but how do we do it and still maintain its luster end? And so we just went to work on thinking about how to do that. Um, and the thing, obviously, you know, the can keeps the beer really fresh. And so for us, it's it's great because you can, you can ship that everywhere and know that it's somewhat fresh by the time it gets at the other end. Uh, we're still doing aging trials to figure out how long it's going to stay fresh for. Um, but uh, east was it East Coast that you used to can? Ah, uh, yes. Sorry. Yeah. So we used the um, yeah East Coast canning to come in with his machine and, and can they, it yeah, for they've us. Pretty yeah, pretty much like taken the, in the industry in obviously the East Coast by storm a little bit. They so have. And Chris did, that, did that make it Chris a great uh, guy. easier for you guys to pull the trigger on? making this product yeah well we're obviously in limbo we thought well we can either buy a canning machine which we weren't really in a position to do um and then when chris popped up we went wow timing so yeah i, I guess when chris popped up we fast-tracked the development of this you know i've got a beer to guard i'm working on and i'm three years into it and i'm still not happy with it so we'll get there um and so we just fast-tracked our energies to getting this to to a you know you know, a commercial ready position. So then we can obviously just, just start to produce it. Judging by um, social media reaction and uh, bottle shop owners and other beer geeks, it's been really well received. Yeah, um, yeah. Does that yeah. change your plans to uh, buy your own canning equipment? Because <laughs> um, it's flying off the shelves. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, it's... um. It's quite over overwhelming, actually. I mean, like the beers that we do, where, you know, people buy one here and there. I guess it's a bit overwhelming to see the response that it's had, and we're totally, um, you know, appreciative. Um, I think it's too early to think about a canning machine for us. Um, and to be honest, I think Chris and what he does at East Coast Canning do a great job. They really do. And, you know, Chris is big into developing his own business and his own technique. So, yeah, at the moment, no, I think I'm happy just to get Chris in. And that way I can focus on making the beer. It's also a beautiful can. What went through to the, um, the artwork? Yeah, the artwork. Well, we wanted to take our classic branding, which is, which is sort of what we're renowned for, which is a Deco Nouveau sort of period. Uh, me and my wife are very much into the arts. We love Art Deco. We love Deco Nouveau even more. So we wanted to make sure we had a Deco Nouveau or a thread of Deco Nouveau for the new can. Um, you'll have to ask my wife on that one because um, she administrated all of this. I was the guy who was appointed just to make it. Fair enough, yeah. <laughs> I've done my job on that one. And Eva went to work on making sure that it, it people knew that it was La Serene. Mm. So I guess, you know, there's a slight Deco Nouveau period there. It actually ties into our avant-garde range. That, that range, um, when it came out as well, the, the artwork on that stunning. Like, I think it's Great. Just, it just it really stands on the shelf, but it also... Yeah. Right. Well, there's one, two, three, four more that haven't been released. I just oh, spotted that wow. down there. Yeah, yeah. Any, any so insight for the listeners, or you so can't, can't talk about it just yet? Well, we can't talk about it just yet. Um, stay tuned. All right. Yeah, but there's one, two, three. Actually, there's there's a fifth. So we'll just 
release them as soon as we get some time. So what's the idea behind the, the Avant-Garde series? The Avant-Garde's great. It's, it's been our permission to ourselves to just get a bit experimental and, and not have to, you know, consider styles. I mean, let me rephrase that because even with our classic range, we don't really make beers true to style. Um, like if you look at my Saison, it doesn't fit the style guideline. I've seen the style guideline twice in my life and twice I looked at it and against my beers I went, well, it doesn't fit. So, but I didn't want to change it to fit the guideline because for us making Saisons and farmhouse beers are not about adhering to a guideline personally. But the avant-garde is just, it's our permission to just do things that are totally experimental. You know, whether that's, um, you know, using techniques to, you know, to get more texture out of, out of beer or using a beer that's been partially barrel aged and partially tank fermented and partially open fermented. So it's just a, it's a bit of a playground for us to just get a bit more, yeah, experimental and, and, and just sort of let us learn the best way to do things. And so far it's been quite a fun project because we've released the Beer Provision, the Long Table and the Soissons, and they've all been great beers and those beers were all about bottle aging and intra-bottle maturation. Um, so how long did you age them in the bottles for, do you remember? Uh, the bitter provision was about three and a half months. The long table was about nine months. And the soissant there was about 12 months. It's quite funny, the, um, the soissant, the 12-month-old, was uh, a real ugly duckling, you know, four or five months in. But I remember the moment it happened, about, I think it was a nine-month in or something like that, we tried and went, wow, this has just turned in a good way. And it just kept developing. And at about 11 months, it sort of reached, to me, the ultimate flavour threshold. So we released it a month after. That was the only, that's the only one I've tried so far, and I loved it. Um, I was completely blown away because I can't remember what it was about it, but there was something special about it that I, I really enjoyed. Yeah, I agree. I, I grabbed all three when I saw them because I couldn't help myself. Um, but they were all stunning. Thanks, I like Dave. The, the long table in particular was my favourite. Yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah, a lot of people say the long table is their favourite. It's a bit of a cleaner beer, that one. Um, it's it's um, yeah, it's just got a cleaner profile where the Soissons is just a bit more off on a tangent, which I love too. Cause I can't stop looking at the Soissons next to the Urban Pale. It looks looks perfect together. Yeah, yeah. Cheers. I should point out more visual things. Yeah, on yeah. The podcast, <laughs> I? yeah, yeah. Visual okay. medium. Can we do visuals <laughs> on these things? <laughs> no. Um, now uh, you kind of touched on something. Uh, kind of. Releasing beers sort of a low key, you know, just kind of getting them out there and not making <laughs> fuss about them. Um, and I think the, the beer we, we've been we're drinking at the moment, uh, Paradox. Paradox, yep. That is how I kind of find out found out about that one was was in a bottle shop and went, I don't know what that well, is. Well, nobody yeah. knows more about <laughs> local funky beers than Luke does. <laughs> and we were in a bottle shop and he went, what are, what are these three <laughs> yeah. or four glycerin <laughs> beers I've never seen before? And so that's obviously your kind of plan to just be low-key and just uh, nah. let people discover it or, or how does that come about for I, you? I wish I could say it's thoroughly planned um, <laughs> you know being a small artisanal brewery with minimal people and, and resources you know we focus all of our resources on the production of the of the beer and I guess sometimes on the marketing side we have a lot to work on um, you know personally I want to focus my energies on making great beer and I think the right people will find it in the right way. So, yeah, it's not ideal. I'd love to have a marketing person who can do all that, who can launch it properly. Um, but, uh, yeah, 
we're, we're more into the into the production of it and making sure it's an amazing thing and i think it'll find its way out there you know um yeah so i guess that's just the way we operate i think um your reputation sort of precedes you a little bit so when people enjoy what you like they're keen to yeah try new things if they've seen it and it's yeah look it's um yeah look it's really humbling to 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 know that we even have a following you know we, we've put our, our our life into this brewery you know time money energy mm. and um for us, it's not really an investment that we need to return on, so to speak. Um, this is our life. This is what this is what we're going to do daily, all the time. And you know, to get I guess a bit deeper, you know, this is a this is like a lifestyle choice for us. And so we came into it uh, with the idea to just constantly evolve and constantly grow and constantly learn. And that's what that's what we're doing here. This is just like a blank canvas for us to learn. And have some fun. I think that low key thing sort of like provides a little bit of extra fun for people that are paying attention because mm. especially when the Urban Pale came out, yeah. nobody yeah, no, heard yeah. anything about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was emailing Luke going, Excuse me? <laughs> yeah, I know. What's yeah. coming out? What's already out? I mean, yeah. We've got to keep in secrets, yes. You know, I, I guess, it, yeah, I guess, yeah, it, it all came to head, you're right, with when Chris announced his business of canning with it, oh, wow, we should fast track the can thing. And so we did it, but we didn't tell anyone about it. We just did it. So, The price point of that Urban Pale. Um, last question about the Urban yep. Pale, I promise. Yep, uh, yep, <laughs> um, yep, yep. $22 a six-pack uh, in most shops. Fantastic. So it should be. Um, and that's, like, these days in Australia, you know, you're looking at 30 bucks or 24 for a four-pack or whatever. Jesus. Was that kind of part of your decision-making to, to keep that down? Well, yeah. We didn't. We wanted to make sure that it was accessible, without question. And... Um, I think pricing is part of the accessibility uh, equation. So yeah, yeah, we wanted to keep it as as low as possible, um, so people can access it readily, and we can introduce people to what farmhouse beers are. I mean, we really designed this to be like a bridge between our classic range and what they're drinking now, and it's sort of a reaching our hand out into the water farmhouse and saying, "Come over here and check this out," and this is the first beer they should go to, and then from here, hopefully, they'll appreciate. A farmhouse style and then discover our classic range which is really the pinnacle for us of our, of our range so it's a way to introduce people to what farmhouse beers are um in 2016. how do you uh what's your approach to making a beer when i guess we're, we're tasting paradox where we yeah. talk about soissant um you know they've kind of got a unique yeast profile um as you said low on the malt low on the hops i guess sort of what what separates the say Soissant from the Paradox and from the regular Saison. Um, it's probably a massive question to ask. I know. <laughs> yeah. I know There's I probably know. four questions in that I once I started. How many words do I get? <laughs> <laughs> um, I wish I could tell you it was well planned and it was well thought out. It's well thought out, but it's well thought out on the fly. And so for us, it's more intuitive. You know, I'm a touchy feely sort of brewer. Um, so I'm out there. You know, looking at the beer, sitting with the beer, just seeing what's going on and why. And from that, I guess, you know, inspiration comes. And that's, I think, the way that I do things. We we make what what we're inspired to make. Um, the day I have to make something because I have to make it is the day that I'm not enjoying what I'm doing. And so for us, we always want to be inspired. And so making that Urban Pale inspires me because it's a great beer and I love drinking it. And I know people love drinking it. And... But we also love making beers out of barrel and, you know, doing intra-bottle maturation. It's, it has to be inspired brewing. 
And I think that's the key to longevity in this industry, I think, anyway. Or I hope. <laughs> Where do you find the inspiration from? Um, I think I've always been drawn to liquids for some reason. And I know that sounds weird. Working, I grew up in, in Adelaide, um, that New Zealand of... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we say, have similar vowel sounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, we speak great English. So um, I grew up in around the vineyards. I used to work for a farmer setting up vineyards. And so I always had this interest in wine and I was destined to become a winemaker. So I went to wine school, studied winemaking, became a winemaker here in Victoria. After about a year or so of winemaking, I went, eh, this isn't for me. My heart was always in beer. So I've always been around things that are liquid, water, wine, beer. And so I guess the inspiration to make beer is always been, an, been just in me. You know, what was uh, it about beer at that time that made you that's switch, a question. switch uh, around? I, I should have figured out when me and my partner used to skip wine classes, like uh, wine school, and go to the bar and drink great beers all day, I should have clicked that, you know, beer was where I was meant to be, but I, I didn't figure it out till later in life. Well, it's because beer is that low-key, when you skip school, you go have a beer. You go have a you beer. You have a wine. You go, exactly. You go have a beer and you have a few and you love it. And I guess I fell in love with farmhouse styles just through drinking them. You know, like the Fontoms and the Saint Viomes and, and the Thierry and these sorts of, you know, beers that I'd come across. I don't know how I'd come across them, but, you know, like there wasn't an epiphany beer, to put it very sort of, you know, to, to make it clear, like, you know, there wasn't one beer that, that turned it for me. I think it was more the idea of, a, of farmhouse beers, which I really fell in love with. And the fact that they were, you know, these beers were born out of necessity, out of, out of a need to sustain people. And I found that so intriguing. Um, it wasn't meant to be enjoyed, you know, it was meant to sustain you, to nourish you, and then have you get back to it. And there's something around that that I still love to this day, which is why we developed the Saisonette, whoever it is. You know, that beer we made just for us here to drink at the brewery, it was never meant to be released. That beer, you know, because we kept drinking our Saison during the day, as we do here, we drink whilst we work. I guess we can call us, you know, Saisonniers, I guess, you know, you drink throughout throughout the day. But drinking a 6% beer at 10 a.m. throughout the day, come 3 o'clock, you're not feeling great. And productivity tends to nosedive. And so the Saisonette was born. And uh, it was great because it's a 36 3.8% beer that you can have a bottle of and you can still drive home, you know, and be responsible. So it's quite funny how that beer developed. Um, yeah, it was, just, it was just meant for us. And I think that there captures inspiration. We do things because we're on a mission what that mission is i'm not sure yet and that beer but i'm feeling my way through it closely with um what the original Perhaps. yeah yeah it, it probably could be the truest representation in fact i think our beer provision could be the truest representation well it depends on the history i mean the history is very sketchy and vague some say it was low alcohol stuff some say it was high alcohol for for storing potential we've done one of each to cover our bases um but yeah, the bitter provision is probably the truest representation. Have you tried that? I don't think I have, no. Uh, we, should, we should try that. I wouldn't say no to try yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> should I crack one now? Yeah, yeah, let's do sure. it. Sure. Uh, okay. Have a little break, can not we? Yeah, I'll pause that. And nice. Make sure we got everything and then, yeah, come back. All right, so we've just got a, another beer, the beer to 
Beer de Provision. Beer de Provision, yep. And so I, I learned French for like six months. Fantastic. And my pronunciation was good and then... Uh, and then you started drinking beer. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, so, so this is like a, as we've said here, it's a farmhouse style workers beer. So this is perhaps, in our mind, the truest representation of what a Saison would have been. Perhaps, but who knows? Or maybe I'm totally wrong. And this is a funny thing about the styles that we do. It's all hearsay. It's all in- interpretive, and I think that's the essence of Lusseren. We're interpretive. We're we're you know we're expressive. So our, our intention is to express, and that's about it. I mean, I wish I could go more into it, but there isn't much to say other than all, all we're trying to do here is like this is a blank canvas, and we're and we're a painter, and we're just doing what comes naturally, um, and that's how I think we make our best beer. You know, when they're more intuitive, it, it's more instinctual for you know for me anyway. So, a big part of the beer, your beer is, is yeast. Yes. Yeah. Um, yep. You're doing some some wild fermentation. Uh, Do a lot of wild fermentations. Still yep. using the original strain. Of we still yeast, use that. Yep. Yep. Uh, which famously you've never actually said where it's from. Yep. Yep. It's from a, a little town in Belgium. I'll we tell you one day. Okay. Perhaps on the on the next podcast. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I'll hold because, you that. <laughs> be, yeah. Well, you can perhaps because we're venturing into something new that is really exciting. Where for the last four and a half years, or five, no, four and a half, we've been capturing isolates of yeast and bacteria right here. And you know, being a an urban farmhouse brewery, which is sort of what we are. You know, we're a little brewery. Nine. Nine and a half k from the CBD, but we've got a you know like a farmhouse setting. We've got the Darabin National Park there and the creek, so we sort of get the best of both worlds. And we've been capturing yeast and bacteria that are either in here or have come into here from out there. And we now have a selection of yeast and bacteria which we're calling the Culture Club. And being a being a good eighties boy, yep. we uh, <laughs> we thought it's quite fitting. And at the moment, it consists of ten wild yeast that we've caught here, and three bacteria so far. And how are you, so you're culturing them up or you, you're kind of brewing well, with them? Well, we've just caught them and what we do is we catch them first, then we give them to a lab and then we do, we ask for a full report on it. So we'll ask for, does it produce acid? If so, what acid? Succinic acid, acetic, lactic, other, does it produce gas? Um, uh, is it budding or is it terminal? Um, uh, does it ferment glucose, simple sugars, complex sugars? Um, so we will do th- we'll do a full analysis on that yeast and determine whether it's going to be suitable for our for our mix. Then we'll choose the ones that we think are suitable based on that lab test, and then we'll do a performance test on that yeast here. So we have our incubator, and the most important thing in my brewery is that incubator. Um, and that was the first thing we ever purchased, actually, before any any stainless. So that thing is the best. That's the greatest. It's old school. Mm. I, th- I think it's, I think it's from an old Carlsberg brewery. Um, second hand really cheap for what they normally are and we do a lot of performance testing in that so we'll test for attenuation flavor profile acid development um, acid development and then if we're satisfied with that and that's just based on all organoleptic tasting it then goes into our culture club so as you can imagine we've got at the moment we've settled on 10 yeast and three bacteria but we've trialed about 80 90 yeast and a lot of them just weren't that great. Quite funny, I think this idea of wild brewing also we need to bring into perspective. You know, we made a beer um, called the Wild Trapel, and we did a second version of it called the Version 2. And the Version 1 wasn't that funky and out there. 
and uh, a lot of people were expecting it to be really funky and I think we have to debunk that myth that if it's a wild yeast it's always going to taste like Brett and taste barnyardy and you know like you're walking through a horse stable um, unfortunately that's not always the case and very few of the wild yeasts give that character so the majority of wild yeasts are quite um, neutral in their flavour profile development and I think it's important for people to know that just because you get wild yeast doesn't mean it's going to be automatically funky so it's challenging for us to try and make sure that we get a certain amount of funk in that beer or 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 complexity um, so people can go great there's wild yeast in there this is what I should expect uh, but some of the greatest yeast that we've caught don't have that don't have that funky character but still have an amazing texture or, or complexity when they're used to make a beer so I also think that first um, version of Wild Trappel was Outstanding. Version two is better for me, if you ask me. Um, I um I think I've still got a bottle of version one somewhere. Oh, do you? Um, cool. Well, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, sh- I should have, but I actually um, don't. Well, maybe I drank it. I remember last time I tried it, it was tasting really good. V- version two is great. I really like version two. So is the Culture Club being used now? No, we've just isolated it. So now it's at a lab in um, on plates, and our next move is to make an open fermented beer with all of it in one hit just to see what happens yeah <laughs> I, like that. I like that approach yeah and just see it. which one dominates and why under what conditions and then we can start to pick out certain isolates and use them to make beers so if you ask me i've got the next 10 years mapped out as a result of that you know to work out of those 10 yeasts which ones work in harmony with with the other that's going to take me years to figure out but i'm gonna have heaps of fun doing it so so and so that'll mean the the original yeast will be Slowly phased out then? Um, no, no, no. We'll still use it. Um, yeah, we'll still use it to make beer, but I guess it's part of the evolution of La Seren. We're on a journey to learn and to develop and to evolve personally and, and through the products that we make, so this is just part of the evolution. I don't think we'll cut something, we'll always transcend it. We'll always take it with us. You know, and part of that evolution and that growth is you don't cut what you've learned and then learn something new, you take it to the next level. And that's what we're going to do. So, how's your saison changed over the years? Then, would you say it's same as the first few batches, or um, the saison's been um, the saison was our firstborn, you know. So it was a beer that it's a beer that's sort of closest to my heart, but also it's a beer that is most frustrating as well because I want to get that perfect in my mind, and I'm not sure what that what that means either. But like the surfer with the perfect wave, right? Perhaps it doesn't really exist. Perhaps, but it's perhaps that's a movie, isn't it? It's a whole concept. Yeah, itself. right. Okay. Yeah, okay. Um, so I guess that's the one beer and my wife Eva's just walked in. So hi, Eva. Hi, Eva. And, and Eva, Eva can confirm that it's the one beer that I'm always tweaking to see what happens and why and if, if it's going to be a better move or not. So I can't help it with that. It's the one beer that I constantly, because I'm still uh, on the journey of exploration with Saison yeast and our house yeast and how it works with our beer. So... Yeah, the saison has changed. Yep, and I think it'll continue to change a bit more, but not too much more. Yeah, we've got a, we've got a few more tweaks I'd like to just explore, and just see where that ends up. So hopefully it works out well. Tell us about your culture. Um, it's over there. Can you see? It's just above that folly sign. Oh, I don't know where I'm looking, but I'm pretty blind. Yeah. Do you want to go over there and have a look, or yeah, all right, let's pause and uh, we'll go have, have a, a little bit of a squeeze. Okay.
quickly, uh, just run, run us through the call ship. Uh, you've had yep. it. You're probably on the call amounts with that? Yes. Um, we got the call ship. La- uh, when did we get it? I think we got it in April, but we spent the eight months previous having it designed and built overseas, and we imported it. And it's a very unique shape. It's not like most cool ships. And that's because we wanted to get maximum surface area to give us maximum potential to get airborne yeast into that wort. Um, and used it in the cooler months this year. Um, but stay tuned because we're also going to flip that on its head next year and, and, and try some new stuff. Okay. And if it doesn't work, it's fine. You won't hear about it. If it works, you'll hear about it. <laughs> so <laughs> that, that obviously the... the Belgian brewers are really concerned about climate change. Absolutely. They, they're brewing through the cooler months, and so you're going to, I guess, test that out? Well, I am, and we've already tested it with our Wild Chippewa version 2. We made that be in the heart of summer, Feb. You know, when scientifically, it, we should have had a spoiler, and it didn't spoil, and I'm intrigued as to why. So we did that in Feb. It's really interesting, and it worked. So I'm what not sure. The temperatures was Feb? It was... It, searing heat really yeah wow. and by the end of it pretty I, had, I had a pellicle that was about that thick it was like tofu i scraped it off it was just amazing and i went wow this thing was really happy in that condition in that environment so i don't know what that means yet i'm still trying to figure it out in my head um but what i can say is that um it produced a very delicious uh ester forward sort of beer that's quite attenuated and it developed this this profile and a beautiful touch of acetic that i just you know, a door um, that I didn't get in the version one. So there's something to do with with bacterial numbers during the w- warmer months that influence fermentation that I'm getting my head around. And it yeah. could be, like, it's location specific as well. It um, could be location specific, yeah. And that's why I, w- I want to make it in the same time next year in the same spot to see if I get a repeatable result. And so you can see how even moving it three meters over can give a different result. I want to test all these theories just through me exploring these things more and more. Some will work, some won't, but that's just the nature of of brewing, you know, the way that we do. Um, You know, uh, I think I've gone on record to say, you know, we don't make a pale ale, what we do now. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure I've heard you say that. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, no, I I think I've gone to, I think I've said somewhere, oh, I won't make an IPA, but hey, you never know. Stay tuned. Yeah, yeah, you've got a grin on your face when you say that. (laughs) Uh, IPAs are great. I mean, when I was in the US, I had some great ones, and, and it actually made me realize, wow, an amazing IPA is an amazing experience. Um, I'm not sure. I think the Belgians are starting to realize that too. Some of the and the Belgian, some of the IPAs, I think Durank is probably a pretty good example. It's just a, a really hoppy Belgian pale, I guess. Mm. Uh, but it's lovely, and it's, it's integrated. And so when that years of tradition and that sort of new world stuff meets, and yeah. there's a lot of, there's a lot of Fusion, brewing yeah. knowledge there. Yeah, yeah, like like the fusion thing is great. Um, so yeah, hey, you're, you you're in know. the US recently. Uh, April. Cool. Yeah, uh, research trip. We did a, a collaboration brew with Jester King, which was great. So we got invited over there to do a brew with them. Is that going to see release here, or it's just going to be for? Well, it's a cross continental cool ship collaboration. Of course it is. So <laughs> so let me just explain that. So I went over there and brewed <laughs> a beer in their cool ship. And we took the same recipe and I brewed it on my cool ship Great experiment. in Love it. last month, no, August this year. So we already did it. It's in barrel over there. And so we'll release them both at the same time. And it shows the same recipe, wild ferments in different parts of the world and see the effect. So you can hopefully compare and contrast. So I'll get some of theirs and hopefully we'll get some of ours over there. So it'll be a nice little cross-continental collaboration 
That's and what collaboration should be for. Thank you, Final because yeah. I'm over marketing collaborations because of marketing. People turn up on the same oh, day and Jesus. say, I don't know, let's put that Or just there. exchange some emails. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, no, it has to be like you've got to be there, you've got to do it, you've got to understand it. And this is a great way for us to showcase wild fermented beers in Northern Hemisphere and Southern Hemisphere. So they're as excited as I am to see the results here. So stay tuned. It's actually an interesting one. Wild fermentation in the Southern Hemisphere is... Yep really only just kicking off between you, know, you um, two metre tall, boat rocker and a couple of people in New Zealand whereas Northern Hemisphere, yeah you're right it's Yeah look, I think Ashley does, has been doing wild ferments, I think he started off using a saison yes from what I understand, yeah. from one of his things but yeah he's done a lot of wild ferments and in New Zealand who else? Craftwork, Craftwork. Oh yes, 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 uh, yeah those guys, guys are funny I, um, um, I had yeah. a beer with them when I was over there really lovely people and um the steampunk outfits and um, yeah yeah no no very cool very cool and um yeah no definitely look I, I think i'll probably resonate with people like that and with people like ashley um you know who are going against the grain a bit um so yeah no look it's great to be part of a movement that is um you know exploring the best of what we have here and i guess you know what i'm trying to say is we don't have to go overseas or drink great american beers to have a great experience we can make them here i'm pretty sure i want to showcase that and i'm sure many other breweries here want to showcase that so i think we need to step out of the shadows of the u.s at some point i think that is happening like we went through the stage where getting any american beers here was a huge excitement and then i think more recently we're sort of finding that Hey, we fresh can, Australian yeah, we can, beer. Yeah, we can do our own thing. Kills old. And that's totally American agree. Beer, yeah. the, the IPA thing. Freshness in beer is such a simple concept, but it's something that is so difficult to get and maintain as an industry. It's it's it, like, it's a real challenge for all of us. You know, the interesting being, I guess, a, a farmhouse brewery and hearing freshness in beer is important. It kind of kind of goes against sort of the, the yeah. time. Yeah, no, no, definitely, and it's quite funny because, um, you know, with our beers, we tend to mature them a lot. Um, so we'll make beer in a tank and then we'll get it to a bottle and it'll condition in the bottle for the carbonation aspect but then we'll do, we'll do an extended maturation on top of that and when that gets released is based on when I'm happy to release it um, so it's a taste thing so I'll be trying it daily and uh, I found with our beers about f uh, mm, three to four weeks after the conditioning process is finished I tend to be fairly happy with it but if we release it three weeks too early, I can taste it. And people can taste it. And yeah, that's the good thing about farmhouse brewing. You, you have that time to play with. The downside is it's hard to run a business when you've got all this money tied up and you're waiting for someone like me to taste and go, yep, happy with it, release it. <laughs> um, the accountants of the world uh, look at it and go, what the hell is, is that? You know, let's just get it out. So it's a real balance, you know, but for us, you know, we'll never compromise on doing that because as far as I'm concerned, you're only as good as the last batch of beer you've made. And I think it was someone at the CBIA conference who said one bad batch of beer can can ruin your whole brand and your whole business. And I really believe that. Of course, with so much choice at the moment, people aren't going to come back to you. Yeah. And we, we had a beer the other day um, that was really it wasn't even that old but it tasted it was an ipa and it just tasted caramelly and, and oh boring. wow it's the first time i'd had a beer from this particular brewery for a long time and probably won't go back and i'm sure the brewer has no idea about it yeah um but it's just the way that's just the way it is mm. you know yeah, it's the way the market works i guess yeah, it I'm is sure, i'm sure that beer 
when they left the brewery was tasting great. And yeah, it was was exactly as they wanted it. Yeah, by the time it was international, so by the time it got here and into our glass, so yeah, it's the same thing as all the um, crystal in any IPAs. Like out of the tank, it probably tastes fantastic. But yeah. I hate crystal. Three weeks yeah. and then it's over. I don't. Know, I don't have a bag of crystal in my brewery. I, I refuse to use it personally. You've just taken the extreme position it's on like something that. we've been banging on about for a while. Really? You've, you've just pushed it to sorry. the extreme. Yeah, I feel like I it validates our podcast. Yeah, you validate yeah. us further than yeah. anyone else has. Sorry, so I hate, sorry, I hate Crystal. Yeah, sorry. Why? Um, good point. Um, I just think it's uh, it's not a delicate, subtle malt to work with. You've either got it there or you don't. And there's no sort of way to temper it. And I don't like that because I, like, I like to temper things. In an, in an effort to get integration in the final product. Every time I've tried to use Crystal, it's either been non-existent or there. And it's sort of, it's, it's a switch, it's on or off, as opposed to being variable, like variable speed drive on a pump for the big geeks out there. <laughs> you know, you can, you, can, you can adjust the speed. Well, you can't adjust the speed with Crystal. It's just, it's on or it's off. So, I mean, from a malt perspective, we don't really use much. We use Great Pilsner and a few bits and bobs here and there. Um, but for us, it's about the yeast and it's about technique. And I think that's what probably makes us stand out to every other brewery in this country. It's technique that I focus on more than anything. Because I use the same raw materials that every other brewery does. But I know that our beers taste different. And so it's a technique thing that I focus on. And it's about exploring those techniques and working out what works for us here. And it's not a one-size-fits-all. It's a very uh, location-specific approach. I feel anyway. Yeah. How much um, wild yeast is being used across your range now? Like uh, you're tasting Paradox, and that's obviously quite quite sour compared to the beer to provision. Um, what's the differences there between the yeasts? Uh, same yeast, yep. but uh, it's been naturally soured. Yep. So we have lactobacillus here. So we've caught that and we use that to sour the Paradox. And then we use our Saison strain and it just dries it out beautifully. And what you'll find is it's fairly clear as well. So we give it the time to settle out, to get all that yeast off. Um, and then it's got some Britannomyces to, to finish it off as well, to make it nice and dry. So uh, we still use our house yeast in pretty much everything, apart from the praline and the farmhouse red commercial yeast. Praline's kind of gone off for you guys. In terms uh, of, uh, it's sort of become a lot of people's favourites and I saw magnums of it going around. Yeah. Um, it's probably, to be honest, my least favourite beer of yours. Interesting. Uh, Interesting you say that. Yeah. I I think, and it's just I prefer that you're pointing. Eva's pointing it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, yeah, were you surprised <laughs> by that? Well, we never had this garden, probably not longer. Just going, why are we still making praline? <laughs> and um, it's a beer that I actually enjoy when I do tastings of it. Um, and I think there's a place for it. Um, but I think even that's going to evolve. So stay tuned. Okay. Stay tuned. Um, how do you, how you know, do you everything deal with everything hype? here is evolving. Yeah. How do you deal with hype that comes about? Because you're pretty low low key operation. I remember when you guys first came out yeah. with the saison, yeah. everyone went crazy for it. At Gabs, the praline went mm. crazy and it became a big thing. This urban pales just caught fire as well. Yeah. Look, I, I think it's good. I don't. I'm not subject to that hype. You know, proposed hype. Um, so, yeah. I deal with it fine because I'm not really exposed to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Eva is probably more exposed to it than I am because she's on social media. Because I don't do social media, I'm a um, right. 
Yep. So <laughs> I think Eva's exposed. Eva, how would you deal with the hype? Well, hype is a very interesting thing because it, it's really people's perspective and, you know, um, how they feel about a certain product. For us, I suppose, the main game is always just to be focusing on what we're doing. So we are kind of insular in that regard. Like it's, you know, we always take the feedback on board, but we really just do rely on our sort of intuition, our feel for each product. And at the end of the day, we have to feel quite proud of what we're releasing. So the hype is the hype. Is it just my world or did you actually <laughs> feel like, was that, a, was that real hype? Because I know I, I noticed it. but I'm For, for, for the urban? Well, there was initially with the first saison that went yeah. kind of gangbusters yeah. from day dot, and after the gabs, after the praline, I think it's a response. I think I think it's like with anything, you put something out to the world, whether it's yourself or your product or your being, and then you have a response to that. So it seems that every time we put something out, people respond well. Generally, some people don't like what we do. That's fine, but but it's. I think the enthusiasm that we put out and the care and the passion and the kind of um, interest and, you know, and the consideration that Costa puts into the beers is, I would say, the hype that comes back matches the intensity of, of what he's putting into the beer energetically without getting too esoteric. <laughs> Perfect. Is that okay? Thank you, Eva. You also mentioned that I should ask Eva about the can design, but I've seen can design. Yeah, I've, I've, I've seen her jumper though, so I know exactly where it came from. That's actually really well. Yeah, for um, mostly for the listeners, that's cu- very color coordinated. With <laughs> the jumper and the uh, <laughs> yeah, urban pale jumper. Yeah, um, I'm not sure Eva because it's beautiful. Really, it is. is beautiful, and we we aim to make things that are beautiful because we believe in aesthetic um, and the whole you know sensory from the taste through to the visual. Um, because we actually care about it. Um, so for me, this was how do we take our classic range and our avant-garde and still keep the continuity of um, La Serene so you can still feel like it's La Serene. And so it was really funny briefing designers. It's like, I want you to capture the essence of La Serene and most of them just had blank looks. But there was one one guy that we're working with and he totally gets it. Um, so we distilled avant-garde and the classic collection look and feel into the urban, um, but it was very important for us to have a very bold product name, which adds quite a bit of weight to the whole look and feel of it. So that's how the design element came through. Uh, so when you say bold product name in terms of the, the font, the yeah, like the I type. wanted people to know that it was the urban pale and that it was by La Serene, and it still felt like La Serene for everybody that sort of knew us and. Um, yeah, we. So there was a, a an earlier version of concept that came out that was really too far out, not La Serene for us. So we had to can that. Yay! Oh, I just can't help myself. Um, and so yeah, basically, then we yeah, we came to this, which was our second attempt concept. So brilliant work. Thanks, Eva. Thanks, Andrew. So yeah. The you said you use like a phenomenal amount of hops compared to your. We do, yeah, yeah, yeah. Does that make it phenomenally more expensive to produce your beer? It does, and I'd had to do the costings on it, but <laughs> 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 so just avoid that bit and just focus on making great beer. 
What's what, what's the turnaround time on uh, Go to Woe for Urban Pale versus your other beers? Um, that beer is about five weeks, which is still a long time. Sure. Most IPAs can be made in 12 days. That's still five weeks. Our Saison is nine, ten weeks. So to me, that's a quick beer. Sure. <laughs> so like, even if it's, it's more, <laughs> even if it costs more, does it serve a purpose getting, for want of a better phrase, liquid faster? Uh, then your other beers question. too. That's a business because you mentioned that like uh, he's a business a, analyst. So a, uh, yeah, oh right, exactly. cool, cool, so cool. So you mentioned yeah, it's yeah. a concern for you sometimes when people are pressuring you to get product to the market. Oh, and they say, do. Well, it's now. not ready yet, and now you can go. Well, this one can go out in five weeks, maybe. Yeah. 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 No, nah, it's 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 exactly right. It's all pre-order stuff. I mean, we have a five-week turnaround for that urban pale. I'm not going to fast track it unless I can do it without affecting the quality of the beer. I haven't figured that out yet. I'm in no rush to figure it out. It is what it is. It's a big jump for us to go from 10 weeks to five weeks. I'm pretty happy with that. <laughs> most, most brewers listening to this, like, you know, would be going, what? I could have done three beers by then. Yeah, anyway, that's good for us. You couldn't do three beers at one beer of the year. A of a time point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, gents. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. Should we quickly pause uh, and we'll just refresh fresh our drinks and sure. uh, questions yeah. about barrels in the future? Cool. All right, we have just got a sour red. Um, one of my favourite beers is the Farmhouse Red, which I think is kind of a... I, I feel like it's an overlooked beer of your range. Oh, thank you for saying that, because I agree. Okay, good. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people overlook it because it's not crazy enough for some people, or it's not sour enough. And I really love that beer. It's such a beautifully balanced, Belgian-inspired sort of, you know, red ale. Mm. I agree. So thanks for saying that. Um, and this is a sour red. Are they are they different? Are they the same? They are. Um, it's a different malt bill, um, but predominantly we e- impose a fairly um, strong souring process. Um, so we use obviously our, one of our lactobacillus strains that we caught here to sour this beer. We make sure it's soured beautifully, and uh, as you'll see, it's quite a tight, zippy, berry-focused beer. But there's no berries in it. It's just to me, it's raspberries and cherries. Like I get sort of sherbet um, and, and freeze-dried. Cherries or freeze-dried raspberries. I don't know if people are familiar with those. Yeah, I agree. Um, but that kind of really sharp, yeah, berry I agree. taste. I agree. It's I get a big whack of raspberry on the nose yeah. as well. Mm. Yeah. And there's no raspberries in it. So that's how you can make a raspberry beer with no raspberries, I guess. Molten lactobacillus. Lactobacillus, under the right conditions. Yeah, so it's really interesting. Um, I guess that's another thing I want to explore, making fruit-driven beers without fruit. Mm. You know, and I think it's a great example of a red berry beer that pe- people people go, oh, raspberries and cherries and that, and I go, none, none. They're like, no, must have none, in, none in there. Yeah, if you told me there was uh, cherries in that, you'd say, I'd sure, like, yeah, of course there is. Yeah, I can show you a cherry beer, like a light cherry beer that we've got, and a, an older cherry beer that we got to sh- do a comparative. But um, yeah, this is this malt, hops, water, yeast, lactobacillus. In terms of adding fruit. Um, or, or I guess any any sort of addition, uh, you sort of do that with with some of the keg releases. We do, um, we do that in barrel that you've never tried, yep. but you will try one day, and um, and we do that with some of the keg release beers, yeah. Yeah, and they just kind of pop up on tap. Um, what are the names of those again? I can't. Uh, Jesus, we did a a botanique, which is our keg range beers, where we combine local botanicals and so- sometimes fruit. 
Um, so we did a peach one, a peach and rosemary. That was really good. That yeah. was one I, I love yeah. that. And the amount of peaches we used in that is phenomenal. And we used real peaches. We got them from a local farmer. I can't remember how many, but it was half a pallet's worth. And it went in that tank there. No. No, not that tank. Uh, one of these tanks, small tank. It was half a pallet in a tank like that. So it was just, there's a lot of peaches. The guy who I had working with me, poor kid, had to get those peaches out. <laughs> and uh, by the end of it, he was over peaches. He was over brewing in the industry, I think. Um, he's now become a banker. He's he's <laughs> <laughs> he just yeah. went home and drank a scotch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I think um, we love using fruit, but we want to use the right fruit. And that leads me to another... Look, I don't mind speaking to Luke, if you don't mind, Eva. Um, we managed to source some sour cherries from Europe Rumoured to be similar ones that the Cantillon built, uh, boys use. Excellent. What's the, the shark? Uh, the big... The Sharbic. Yeah. 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 So we've got some of them. And it's gone in that beer in that tank. Tank number 10. So we can try some of that in a minute. Exciting. Yeah, definitely. We'll, we'll see what you think. Yeah. Um, but it's really interesting. It's a different cherry. It's really different. And I see why they get the character they do. So these cherries were horrendously expensive. Um, you know, thousands of dollars in cherries. So, what's the plan for that beer? Um, can you say that yet? Still working on it, still working on a name and a finished vision. But the cherries are in there, it's been in there for four months, five months in that tank. Some of it's come out of barrel, so it's partly barrel aged, partly non. I guess we're just feeling our way through it. So, sometime early next year, quarter one, I think the beer from Tank 10 should be released. But I'm pretty sure we won't, we won't actually. Uh, release it properly, right? Like, announce it. Yep. <laughs> well, you, you kind of just have announced it anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bit. So I can't wait for it because it's been a long time coming, that one. And it's great to be able to get the cherries that, you know, the Belgians use and just to see why they get the characters they do. It's great. Because it's definitely when you get a, a local cherry beer um, versus a Belgian one, there's there's tons of difference. Even even sort of not even, you know, Lambic ones. There's still yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, do you want me to get you some of this? As a comparative while we're talking about it? Yeah. So um what you said there's barrel there's barrel components. Yeah, there is. There's a, I think a third of it's barrel aged. Came from um some barrels. Um that we've had some beer and cherries in for a few years a couple of years I think yep partially young beer and and it's not finished yet so it's probably about 80% there so I guess is this what we're tasting right now the, f- the future yeah 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 perhaps it's um you know making beer that takes a certain amount of technique and process and time and this is a great platform here at Lusserin because we can make beers that we turn around in five weeks which is fast and we have beers like this that we can turn around in four months. And we have the ability to do that here. So we're, we're quite lucky that we can do both at the same time. That sort of approach is very, I guess, the US breweries. Oh, um, is it? Okay. You think of, you know, Hill Farmstead, uh, people Brilliant like that. Brewery. that are, Brilliant brewery. And they're doing, you know, they do great uh, single hot pails. And then they do very <laughs> intricate barrel stuff. Yeah. Do, do, you guys, do you take influence from, from people like that? Yeah, look, definitely. Um, I was I went and visited there and hung out with Ryan and had some beers and stuff. It was great. Um, yeah, so definitely, I think we take inspiration. We've only recently, I guess, 
take inspiration from the US because I've never been there before. I went there for the first time in April and I went, wow, this is amazing. So definitely as of April, we took inspiration from the US brewers. <laughs> before then, I think we probably took more inspiration from the old world. So now we've been exposed to, I guess, new world brewing. And it's, it's definitely yeah, helped us understand how to, how to get more out of something and how to develop things and how to, Cause how to evolve things. They, yeah. they kind of turned up, I guess, uh, you know, using yeast and, and sort of discovering what's actually happening there. They kind of turned up to 11 where the Belgians just did it the same way they've always done it and they, they know how to do it. Whereas the Yeah, the US is a country and it's a people that is renowned for progress and they're, they're the epitome of, of, of capitalism, aren't they, really? And, and about knowledge. You know, they're very big on understanding. I think turning why up to eleven is a great way to describe hmm. what their whole ethos and, and is. And that about, doesn't yeah. mean like you know, you taste a hill farmstead beer, um, hill farmstead beer, and that's not turned up to eleven. It's subtle and glorious. Yeah, no, I don't even mean like the pro, the pro, the flavour yeah. profiles up to eleven, but just hmm. their enthusiasm to explore, correct, and, get and to it understand, all, to get out mm. is turned up to eleven. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and to make everything repeatable in a way that's almost scientific. Yeah, the US are masters of this, you know, and um, and good on them because. You know they're they're pushing boundaries for the for the rest of us. Hopefully, what we're doing here is contributing to that in some way. And um, and I th- and I know that when I was over there, um, people were quite inspired by the stuff that we were doing. And I went, wow, that's really humbling, because we're inspired by you guys as a country, as an industry, and how far you've come, and how much market share you've had, and how much you've turned this idea of good beer. You know, you've turned the whole notion of of you know of what beer can be on its head and so it's, it was quite humbling to hear that people knew of us um, and a few others and you know and they're looking forward to seeing sort of where we you know where we end up so it was great uh if there's i guess two or three things that listeners should be looking forward to from la Seren, not even specific beers but i guess so i think la Seren is really evolving quickly over the last sort of six months i think we've really um, like for me, the first 12 months was learning and understanding what it means to be a, a, a producer of saisons. And um, we're still working on that, you know. I'm still tweaking my saison. Um, but <coughs> it's it's evolved, you know, Lusserin's evolved and I guess the vision's become a lot greater now. And it's about integrating more of what's around us and what's here into and, and to showcase what's here and to showcase the glory of it you know and and ultimately as as eva said before we just want to you know we just want to make beautiful beers just beautiful beers just beautiful beers you know and it's as simple as that and whatever it takes to do that we'll do and if we can showcase our local microflora in the process well hey that's fantastic too awesome costa eva thanks for coming on the show uh, Dave, I'm sure I speak for both of us when I say it's been a real treat. This has been a wonderful one, yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah, guys, appreciate keep it. Keep up the good work and, uh, yeah, no doubt we'll uh, chat to you in a year's time where you can tell us where that yeast comes from. Sounds great. Thank, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs>